here in 2 Timothy. If you've closed your Bibles, way, thanks so much for reading 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. For those who, have, who are joining us for the first time, we've been going over disciples multiplying disciples. And we've been looking at the letter of 2 Timothy. And we've been talking a whole lot about what is a disciple? What is a disciple of Jesus? In quick review, a disciple knows joy. A disciple knows the joy of the Lord. A disciple imitates who? First and foremost, Jesus Christ. But we also can imitate other brothers and sisters who've gone before us in the faith and followed their example as they followed Jesus. We should be able to call people to imitate us as we imitate Christ. A disciple knows truth. Last week we looked at a disciple knows that he or she will face opposition. Today is this. A disciple speaks truth. Here's a question for you. What is truth? Think about it for a second. What is truth? When I think of the word truth, I instantly think of Jesus because I'm cheating. But he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. But what is true? We live in what's called postmodern era where people will say and believe and follow. There's no absolute truth. You might think even too in movies or if you've seen on TV, you know, in a court case, a courtroom, you get a witness up there. They put their hand on the Bible and the sheriff or whoever the constable says, do you swear to tell the whole truth? Nothing but the truth. So help you God. I do. I think back to some stories of mine when I was a little kid and I've shared this before where I got caught throwing rocks at cars on the interstate. And when my dad caught me, he asked what we were doing. I lied. And my best friend who was with me, he said, Doug, I think we ought to tell the truth. I about died. I lied and then I almost died. It also makes me think too of as a missionary and for many missionaries who go into closed countries where they do not allow missionaries in. And what do they say in front of immigration? Because if the missionary says, I'm coming in here to preach the gospel, they're not going to be allowed in. As missionaries in Mexico, before we got our missionary visa, we had to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves of speaking truth, not lying, not deceiving. But how do you do that? Here's the question for you. Have you ever said a lie? Have you ever lied? Why? Have you ever said a white lie? Or as we say in Spanish, una mentira santa. We know the truth. Many times we say the truth, but many times we lie or deceive. We might share part of the truth or just half of it, but we don't share or live out the whole truth. So a disciple knows, speaks, sorry, a disciple speaks truth. It's not just what we say, but we speak with our actions. That's what we're looking at today. So here in 2 Timothy, a little bit of context. Paul is in prison. He knows he's getting ready to be executed. He has traveled all around the Mediterranean Sea, all that whole region, planting churches for decades. He has suffered tremendously. And at the same time, he has seen the Holy Spirit move powerfully in his life in and through him and his team as they proclaimed the gospel, as they made disciples who make disciples, as they planted churches as Holy Spirit worked through them to see the, the Roman world flipped on its head for the gospel. Timothy, one of his closest disciples and friends, is in Ephesus pastoring a church. Paul is in prison. And Paul writes this letter to Timothy, 
to encourage him, to admonish him, to charge him to fulfill the ministry, but also to invite him back to Rome to visit Paul because he, Paul, was all alone and he needed encouragement. Last week, we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. And I want to close with two verses at the end of chapter 3. It's verse 16 and 17, where Paul says, All Scripture is inspired by God, and it is profitable for teaching and for rebuking, for correcting and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, say complete, complete, equipped for every good work. And then this is what Paul says. This is what Way read for us today. In verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul says, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead. And because, he's a, because of his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. So this is the crux of the whole letter that Paul wrote Timothy right here. Paul says, I solemnly, 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 can say that word, that's tough. I solemnly charge you before God and before Christ Jesus. Unfortunately, here in the West, actually in our day and age, we do not take our word as seriously as we should. And I'm not talking about just this word. I'm just talking about a word. We talk about speaking truth. But how many of us might promise something or say we'll do something and then we never get around to doing it? Or we're afraid to commit to something because if we do, something more cool or more, as we say in Spanish, chido or, or something more fun might happen. And then we have to back out of what we committed to. Or we don't want to get in trouble, so we share a half lie or a half truth. And our word no longer is trustworthy because we break our promises. And so here in North America, unfortunately, we don't consider our spoken word as legit or having much validity to it anymore because it's been broken so many times. Promises have been broken so many times, not only by us, but by everyone else around us. And we're just like, ah, who cares? But this charge that Paul gives Timothy, look at what he says. I solemnly charge you before who? Before God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. This is not just simple speak. But this is a charge that Paul is giving Timothy before God himself. And Paul reminds Timothy, and this isn't to make Timothy shake and quake in his boots. But he's charging him before the Lord Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. Jesus is our righteous king and he's our righteous judge. And the father has given Jesus all authority and all power to be the judge. And scripture is very clear that all of us in this room and everyone watching and worshiping with us today, we will stand before Jesus, rather if we believe in him or not. Every person on this planet who will live, who has lived and who's living today will stand before Jesus Christ and will have to give account of everything we've said and done and thought. And he will decide heaven or hell. We will have to give account of everything we do. Everything. And as Paul tells Timothy, I charge you before the Lord Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Everyone who's lived. And that should bring us great fear, great trembling, but also assurance knowing that everyone we see who does injustice and who commits horrible crimes, one day they will pay. 
And one day they will be held accountable for. Vengeance is of the Lord's, not of us. And that should bring us great encouragement as we walk through very dark days. That one day, everyone will stand before the Lord Jesus. And everyone will give account of, to Him because He is judge. He is Lord and He is King. So think about it. Well, I'm getting hot. And then look what he says here. He says, I charge you. Then he gives him several commands in verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Now, Timothy was a pastor, so he did preach. But I sure hope you guys don't think when you see preach the word that you think of someone standing behind a big pulpit, pounding that pulpit. That's one of a million ways to preach the word. We're here for an hour. There's 168 hours of the week. We're here for one hour. Is this the only time that we should preach? No, absolutely not. Is this command only for Timothy? It was directly for Timothy, but how does it apply to our lives too? What if you're not a preacher? What if you're not an evangelist? Can you just step back and be like, oh, whew, doesn't apply to me. Well, let me ask you about your life. What is your life preaching? Because every single one of us, our life is proclaiming some type of message. You can't avoid it. You can't get away from it. Your life, your words, your actions are preaching something. What is it? My hope and my prayer for you, for me, for all of us, is that our lives, the words we say and the things that we do would point people to the Lord Jesus. That when people see us, they would see Christ. Christian, the word Christian means little Christ. Paul said several times to Timothy and others, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Can you say the same thing? My prayer is that we could say with confidence, yes. Preach the word in season, out of season. That means we should be ready anytime, anywhere, with anybody. Sounds like our mission statement. Engaging the whole person. You'll see it. It's a small little blue sign right on our chapel wall as you go outside. Engaging the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime, anybody. In season, out of season. To encourage, to rebuke, to teach, to admonish. All of us as brothers and sisters in Christ, if we see another brother and sister falling into sin, living in a way that they shouldn't, we should go to them directly, directly, privately, humbly, and call them on the carpet for it and encourage them to reprimand them. Don't go to the pastor or don't go to your life group leader just to gossip and share a prayer request. Admonish them to follow Jesus. Don't wait for someone else to do it. God allows those situations to happen so that you and me can encourage our brothers and sisters who are waffling like a weeble wobble and to lift them up. We need to keep going. Verse 3 and verse 4, Paul changes course very quickly. He says here in verse 3 and 4, For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. What desires? Own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch, an itch to hear what they want to hear. Oof, that scares me. 
It makes me ask the question, do I follow my own desires? Am I only listening to the things that I want to listen to because I've got an itch? I've got an itch to hear something. Ooh, but am I falling away from sound doctrine? As Paul continues in verse 4, they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. I shared this two weeks ago. I shared it last week and I'll share it again. Because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. Don't let the lawlessness that we see around us cause our hearts to grow cold. One of the exciting things, I I hate to say it, but I need to say it, is that as darkness increases, the light shines brighter. Caleb, I think I've got a slide on that. I'm kind of jumping ahead. But as darkness increases, the light shines brighter. For whatever reason, Paul talks a whole lot about here in 2 Timothy, what people will be like in the end times. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he has several verses in it about what people will be like at the end times. And he talks all about it, how they'll be lovers of themselves and lovers of money and lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, how they'll be disobedient and rude, how they'll chase after myths and how they'll deceive and be deceived. And then right here in these two verses, look at how Paul describes people. And the sad thing is this description here in verse 3 and verse 4 is about people in the church. But then Paul continues in verse 5. And here's part of the charge that Paul gives Timothy again. Verse 5. But as for you, and don't look at it as Paul has given Timothy spankings or he's you know, back slapping his hand on his face. But he's saying, but as for you, Timothy, you're not like everyone else. But as for you, Timothy, I want to encourage you. Yes, the world is in a, it is just marching as quick as it can to death and destruction. But you, and I say this to you, Woodbine, but as for you, Woodbine, look at what he commands Timothy and he charges Timothy with. Exercise self-control. Self-control is, a, is part of the fruit of the Spirit. So the good thing for us is we don't have to try hard to have self-control. All we need to do is abide in Christ and let His Spirit do it for us. And if you're, we're lacking in self-control, Maybe we're not abiding in Christ. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. And how much? Everything. Endure hardship. Endure hardships. We go through trials, temptations, and tribulations. We will face them all. We looked at that last week. We will go through trials, temptations, and tribulations. But our Heavenly Father has given us brothers and sisters to walk with us, to encourage us, and to comfort us, to strengthen us, to pray for us. He's given us His written word that can be the light to our path. And more than anything else, He's given us the Lord Jesus Christ to not only be our example, but to be our strength and our shepherd, to walk with us and to fill us with His Spirit. So endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I was talking with a dear friend of mine the other day. We were talking about home group. And he mentioned to me that he and his wife were talking about their home group. They've had a group in their house for the past three or four years. And he was calculating that over 200 people have probably been in their home over the past three or four years. And home group at least once. 
And I think of that hospi- the, the gift of hospitality that they have and the incredible opportunity that they have and our home group has had to share the gospel with that many people and to love on that many people. Very, very few of us have the gift of evangelism. Some of us do. We can go out and we can convert the flagpole and the light pole to Jesus. We just have that power and that gift. But even those of us who don't have the gift of evangelism, we're all called to share the gospel, to share God's story and what he's doing in our lives with others. So may we do the work of evangelism. And then finally here, Paul says, here in verse 6, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time for my departure is close. He knows that he's going to be executed soon. He knows it. I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. My prayer for all of us is that we would be able to say the same thing on our deathbed. Whether if it's today, tomorrow, or in 50 years. That we would be able to say, man, I have fought the fight and I have run the race and I have finished what God has prepared for me. And then he says this, Paul, he's talking about himself and he's not bragging. He is bragging about what Jesus has done in his life. And he's sharing with Timothy. He says, the world is like this, but you're not. And look at what God has done for me. And if God can do it for me, a murderer of Christians, a self-righteous Pharisee, how much more can he do it in you? And if he has been faithful in my life to finish the race, he will be faithful in your life to help you finish that race. And then look look at what he says here in verse 8. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge. There we go back again. Jesus is the righteous judge. And one of the things that we can be confident in is no one standing at the seat of judgment. When I was pounding pretty hard at the beginning of this sermon about judgment, no one will walk away from Jesus' judgment seat all upset and angry that Jesus did them dirty. Jesus will judge righteously, holy with an H, and holy with a W, completely. Utterly perfect and good. He knows all things and he sees all things. And his judgment is righteous and good and pure and true and holy. And for everyone who loves Jesus, this is what Paul's saying here. He's sharing with Timothy. It's going to be dark but I'm going to receive the crown of righteousness. I'm going to receive the crown of life because of what Christ has done in me. And he says, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. For us as Protestants, we have a hard time talking about how God loves to give gifts. We don't want to be presumptuous, but Jesus talks all about talents and gifts. And one of the great phrases that Jesus says when he shares about the parable of the talents When two of the three men come back and they say, you gave me five talents. Look, I've I've earned five more. And the one with two talents says the same thing. And Jesus says, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my father's kingdom. My prayer for us is that we would live in that assurance of Jesus' faithfulness. That when he sees you and you and you and you and you, you would know that because of his faithfulness, you will hear his voice when you see his face and his arms will be wide open and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my kingdom. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So how much more is he going to give us if he's already proven his love to us? 
and giving us his son. In closing, a disciple speaks truth. There's a couple things I want to close with. There are four ways that we as disciples shine the truth of Jesus. The first one is this, be faithful in running the race of faith. As Paul declared, I fought the good fight. I've run the race. Be faithful in running your race of faith, following Jesus. Number two, follow the example of other believers who are faithfully following Jesus. Number three, use the gifts, talents, time, treasures, and experiences to love and serve Jesus. God has given each and every one of us talents, gifts. He gives us all the same amount of time, 24 hours a day. Use them to serve him faithfully. As Paul charged Timothy to preach the gospel, to evangelize, to admonish, to teach, we might not be a pastor of a congregation, but what gifts and talents and treasures, what experiences, life experiences do you have that God wants to use so that you can lovingly serve him? He wastes nothing. And finally, number four is this. God will give us a great reward. He will give us a great reward. He can't wait to reward us. He's already clothed us with his righteousness. So how much more will he give us when we get to heaven? Paul describes it as a crown of righteousness. I have a couple questions for you. The first one is this. What gifts, talents, and treasures has God given you to serve him? I know I'm repeating. I need to repeat in creative new ways. Repetitive pounding. Number two is this. It's similar. It's a little bit different. Is there anything in your life that you've put on the shelf that the Lord is calling you to use again? Is there anything that God used in your life in the past and you've put on a shelf and he's asking you to use it again? Number three, how are you using your life as an offering to the Lord? Paul says he's being poured out like a drink offering. Do you, do you view your life the same way? Number four, who has God put in your life to share the gospel of Jesus? We're disciples, we're to speak truth. The truth is Christ, it's Jesus himself. We speak with our actions, we speak with our words. Who in your life has God called for you to share the love of Jesus with. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible day. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. And Jesus, we thank you that you are the truth. You are the life. You are the way. And Jesus' as disciples, may we walk just in humble obedience to you, recognizing that you are the righteous judge. And may we walk in humility, humble obedience to love you, to serve you, to use the time and the gifts and the talents and the treasures our whole life to love and serve you.
May we speak truth, not only our words, but may our lives and our actions proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen.